Welcome to Women Leading the Way Radio Show, where each time you'll hear from successful women CEOs, executives, and professionals, where we'll discover how they do what they do to be successful in business. We'll be interviewing women who have overcome big challenges, women who have incredible stories of lessons learned in dealing with adversity. We'll even interview women who have started and grown successful organizations and women who are C-level executives with unique talents and positions. Our goal is to bring successful businesswomen together to share how they're leading the way in business today. Welcome to Women Lead Radio. This is John Burroughs with Finance of America. I am will be your kind of host today. Uh, we're going to do things a little bit differently here, and that little snicker you hear in the background is Michelle Bergquist, and we decided to shake things up a little bit because we haven't done a recap of where uh, this economy has gone with regard to my expertise, which is finance and real estate and mortgage, etc. So we're going to turn it around, and Michelle is going to be interviewing me so that we can share what we feel to be very, very pertinent data about your financial fortitude and your financial fitness. So, Michelle, welcome to the show. How are you? <laughs> I, I like snickering. I like how you brought that up. But this is totally a table turn. This is your show, and I'm excited that we're going to talk about and debunk some of the stuff that's out there about just, gosh, what's going on in the real estate market. But let me set the stage, because I think this is why what you have to share, John, is going to be so absolutely impactful and to women and just to anybody that listens about what's going on. Because lately in the news, I think so many of us have heard one there's no houses available. It's like, the, you know, there's no houses available if you wanted to buy buy them. Number two, it's like, oh, this is a bubble right now, so be careful, right, if you're going to get financing. And if you've got a house, then what the housing prices are right now. Some people are like, you know, dancing in the street. They're so excited about their housing prices. And others are like unsure of what to do. So clue us in. What is really going on right now in all things real estate and homes? Okay, so um, I'm going to give the, the numbers I will throw you. I won't try to bore people with too much in the way of statistics, but uh, what I have looked at and did another broadcast this week about very specific is exactly what you're talking about. People have concerns that maybe we're on the edge of a bubble, and I want to tell you now, the, the majority of mainstream media gets this wrong. I mean, they, they get enough facts to be dangerous out there. So I want to assure people from our perspective, and mind you, I have been doing this now, mortgage banking, finance, and real estate in excess of 38 years. So I've kind of got it figured out by now, at least to some degree. So I do not believe we're in a bubble, but what we are experiencing, what we have done in the last 12 to 18 months is unprecedented appreciation in housing prices climbing nationwide. Now, I did a breakdown of what's going on on a national basis, all the major metropolitan areas, and of course you and I are in Southern California. San Diego County was number two in all of the United States with the rate of appreciation in the last year, wow. year over year, August of 2020 to August of 2021, there was like 26.2% appreciation. That's insane. The only part of the country, the only place, a metropolitan area higher than that was in the Phoenix, Arizona, and that was up about 33% year over year. Now, nationally, 
we saw a slight, uh, a slightly less than that, but nationally appreciation of about 19.2% in the entire country. So if you were buying real estate, own real estate, the value of your property was doing nothing but going up. Now, some people would say, oh, my gosh, that's an indication that we're, we're priced out, we're topped out. And typically speaking, in many years past, going back 10, 20 years, uh, those would be an indicator of some sort of bubble where the prices would drop like a rock the other duration. Well, that is not, in my opinion, what is going on right now. And I have a lot of talking mm-hmm. heads within the industry that are saying the exact same thing. They're going, hey, we're not going crazy in this next year or right now. Uh, things have softened up a little bit for good reasons for that. But I think the overall opinion is we're not going backwards. We're just going to slow down the pace of appreciation because that's really not sustainable. And I think you'd agree with me. You can't keep at that rate, you know, ad infinitum. Right. So, so you know, all that being well, said, some, well, go ahead. You know, you, I was just going to say there's so much that's here, John, and it's like, you know, I mean, I can think of a scenario right now. What would you recommend, you know, for any of our listeners in situations? You know, people are trying to decide, it's like, should I even, you know, try to buy a home right now? I mean, what would you recommend to those individuals with some of the facts and the statistics you see right now? Like, it, it's not, you know, a season maybe for that, or should they, even though the inventory is pretty low, right? I mean, what would you recommend to a, a potential buyer? Yeah, absolutely. All the buyers that I'm talking to right now, I said, well, the time to buy would have been a year and a half ago, but it was so crazy and there was so little inventory. And we have to, you know, put 99% of this is based on the pandemic. I and mean, let's face it, people did not want folks traipsing through their home, you know, who know who, yeah. strangers, open houses and all that. There was just a moratorium on that. So if you can't really let people access the property, you know, the inventory just dried up and blew away. Uh, and, of course, now that has changed to some degree. I think there's a little bit more of comfort. Enough standards have been put in place to be able to view with uh, technological advances, people to view houses without even having to go in to see them, you know, unless they're showing a real indication of, yes, there's a offer likely on that. But what we're seeing right now, too, and some of the appreciation Um, drawback is coming also from an increase in inventory. Nothing dramatic, but we're seeing a lot of those people that wanted to sell way back when are now getting a little bit more comfortable and starting to get those properties on the market. And the second factor that I think comes into play is that the borrowers who were getting beat up out there trying to buy and having these crazy multiple offers on property, many thousands of a dollar over the listing price on a piece of real estate. I think buyers just got fed up with that nonsense, and they just backed off. So now your sellers mm. are getting a little bit more of a, a taste of reality, you know, uh, from the perspective of saying, hey, you know, we're not having people lined up around the block to make these huge, crazy multiple bid offers on them too. So key factor here. And, Michelle, I know you understand that. You're a numbers person, too. The affordability (laughs) factor. Let's face it, interest rates have a ton to do with that. Although we're we're not in the lowest spectrum of rates where we were for, I think we got spoiled for a good year and a half, almost two years, rates were crazy low. And, of course, those are somewhat manipulated by the Federal Reserve. Uh, But all that being said, uh, now those rates have crept up, not a lot, 
just a tiny bit, but enough now that we see that the indication is they're not going anywhere but up from this point forward. So uh, every month that one hesitates, you run the risk of seeing those rates get bumped up a little bit. Uh, I hate to quote interest rates nationally, you know, but somewhere in the you know the low three percent. Let's face it, historically, that's insane. I don't know how far back you go with your first taste and dipping your toe in the real estate pool, but you know, interest rates at or below three percent were unheard of on a national basis. So, running the risk of having those prices sure they're going up a little bit, but they are affordable. And I think right now is one of the few times I've seen where your rent is comparable or in some cases even more expensive than it would be to actually pay on a mortgage. And that's pretty unusual. Right. You know, it it really, one thing that's always interesting to me, John, is how many people will have a really, I mean, some do, some don't, but I'm just going to kind of paint a picture. People will have a relationship with an attorney. They'll have a relationship with a, let's say, banker, you know, for personal personal financial information, but, you know, rare, they'll have a bookkeeper, they'll have a good tax advisor, you know, all those pieces. And yet, what's the number one thing that everybody has that's the most value that they usually have, right? Their house. And I don't understand why more people don't have a relationship with a mortgage lender and a mortgage banker. Can you maybe shed a little bit of, I know you are in that business, but you are so knowledgeable, and I'm like, why isn't that one of those relationships that should be so valuable to each of us that are homeowners? Absolutely it is, and I always think it in the team approach here, and I'll tell you who is in my sphere of influence. Now, we're talking about me personally right now, okay? So um, when you're looking at that team, I think the critical parts are your estate planning attorney, if you do own real estate, or you're going to own real estate, and particularly if you are a family person uh, or have a large family, I think it is critical that you have your will, your trust, and the state planning attorney relationship. It's becoming more and more prevalent nationwide, but not near as much as I think it should be. And I think people find out, you know, too late in the process, too, when something does occur. Let's face it, life is what's happening when you're making other plans. So if something occurs, Mm -hmm. you want to have that plan in place. So there's your number one, your state planning attorney, your financial planner. Even if it's somebody who's just knowledgeable enough, then what do I do with my investments? Um, I will tell you, we call it in this business the three-legged retirement plan, and that consists of, you know, Social Security for some people. Many of our listeners are too young uh, to think about that yet. And however, I even go to seminars and such like that to learn more because the laws do change. So that's one tier of your retirement plan, savings, your personal savings, which unfortunately, in my opinion, is the weakest, weakest link in the change. And then, of course, whatever divine, uh, defined pension plans, you know, let's face it, you don't go to work for XYZ Corporation and 25 years later get the, the big pension and the gold watch anymore. It's now on our own shoulders, right. you know, the financial <laughs> planning part of it, though. So having your financial planning person in a place, uh, the estate persons as well, and of course, everybody's going to look out for their own well-being because the medical part of it, of course, that's part of the family plan. But the mortgage banking side of things, somebody that you can know and trust that is going to give you straight information. They're not looking to line their own pockets. 
They're not looking at every transaction they do, whether it be a refinance or a purchase, as if they're trying to retire off the commission earned off of your deal. There's a big difference between going to a broker, dealing with an Internet company, and or dealing with somebody like myself who is licensed through the national system, which is no easy task uh, to get done from the get-go, and you are then considered a fiduciary meaning that that individual, like your financial planner probably is, and your estate planning attorney, your bed, uh, well-being is far more important than, is number one priority, far more important than anything else that should come into play during the process of a transaction. So you've got your, your team of people that you need to uh, have in place that you know and trust. And I think word of mouth is a good way to build those relationships because they are indeed that long-term relationships and I think the trust being the paramount part of it too so to answer your question uh, less long-winded I have no idea why people don't do that <laughs> I, I don't understand that was a great roundabout it way to the answer yeah, but I, I, really, I, well, I don't understand it yeah, no, I, I don't either. And I came from banking, and you know that when you said, yeah, the, I mean, I, I'm money on the other side, right? I'm on the debt side, not the income side. But I, I, I do crack up a little bit because, you know, getting your financial house in order, I think for so many of us, let's say, and to our listeners, you know, last year, among all the horrible things, you know, it also put some really, at least the conversations we've had in our association, the perspective that I think there's more important things that people learn going through the pandemic than maybe they ever did, like putting family first and, you know, really analyzing your career. Is this really what you want to do? You know, those kinds of things. And I would love before we get to our sponsor, you know, kind of thank you, but, you know, what else is involved with putting your financial house in order? And, you know, I know you've had a personal situation that you'll share towards the end of the show, but what what are some things you would advise people to do, especially now under your area of expertise in relation to your home, you know, value, any of that, or, or putting their financial house in order? If you want to scope into the other places too, just tell us. I know it'll be a long-winded yeah. answer, so let's go with that. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, well, I'll tell you, uh, some of these answers are going to sound really, really silly. First of all, I kid you not, I can't tell you how many people pick up the phone, call me, and say, well, I'm thinking about buying a house and or refinancing my property or whatever, and I start asking questions. And I get answers mm-hmm. like, well, gee, I'm not really sure. And then I don't know what my monthly payment is. Or, or uh, no, I don't have Whoa. a copy of my awards letter for my pension that I've been drawing for the last five years. And what do you mean I have to prove how much money I make to see if I can get a home loan approved? So absolute craziness. Just get your act together, folks. I mean, there's a lot of why behind the what when we paper trail uh money for financing and let's face it you've got to be able to have the ability to repay so i think we're up against a break here if i'm not mistaken because i'm going to take this a little step farther too from the family level that i think will really resonate with folks out there particularly folks with kids i love that so hold on and i'm going to do a little quick sponsor break okay so we'll come right back here to your show but right now women lead radio is brought to you today by connected women of influence and our partner national university National University is proud to be San Diego's largest private nonprofit university founded in 1971. The National University mission is to provide accessible, achievable, 
Higher Education to Adult Learners. Today, National University uh, educates students from not only across the U.S., but around the globe with over 170,000 alumni worldwide. So thank you so much for your support, National University, and to all of our sponsors and partners. And John, thank you for your sponsorship of Connected Women of Influence. But let's get back to your show, shall we? Because um, okay. I really want to talk more about some of these, you know, getting your financial house in order. But you, what was it you brought up right before the sponsor break? Tell me again. Yeah, it was about uh, the kids. And, and I think at a certain age, uh, I, I'm seeing more and more of it, which I'm glad to say over the years in my career, uh, early on, I did not see that much sharing within families. In other words, teaching your children from, children from a very young age just the importance of how to deal with you know, their money, how to manage it, how to budget, what, what is money, how does it work, all of those things. And I mm-hmm. think as kids get older, they're becoming more, more astute. But bringing your children or your adult children into the picture so that it's an open book, what's going to happen when mom and dad in their later years aren't here, how do we deal with those transitions in life? Let's face it, you know, everybody's going to have those bumps in the road or, you know, watching wealth change hands from uh, family member to family member. Uh, So that's where your trust comes into play. But I really think the children are a good part of it, too. Raising responsible adults, I think, is all of our obligation, one of the best things we can do for our kids now and later into life. So I do get... Uh, family members involved with, say, an elderly parent, and I, I'm uh, glad to say that many of them are able to handle that, you know, quite well, and yet you get the exceptions where nobody seems to know where any of the paperwork is. Nobody seems to be able to prove anything, and there's going to come a time when it's going to be critical. So I think if you have an aging parent, maybe being a little bit proactive with them if it's comfortable and their parents are open to that is getting those plans in order, making sure that everybody knows what's what, who's responsible, uh, and then during time to transition how to deal with that. So it starts when they're kids, and I think even into the teenage years, uh, I think giving them that education is probably the, the best, to reiterate, one of the best things you can do for your children as they approach adulthood. Um, that makes a lot that. of sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. It does. You know, I, it, I have one story. When I was in banking, I had a client tell me that their parents, like this was a young adult and I was a young adult at the time, and they had shared that, I mean, it's not funny, but they're, they had a situation where they lost both parents. And it wasn't a conversation that they had had about where everything was. But this woman had shared with me um, as one of my colleagues that when her parents passed away, she remembered her mother saying, if you ever want to know where everything is, and this is not going to be the advice we give our listeners, but I'm just sharing for context, is she had remembered that her mother had said, go sit at my desk and spin in the chair and you will find everything around there of what you need to know about the financial house of our of your, your of our us as your mom and dad. And that's what she did. And she literally found everything there from shoeboxes to drawers, folders. You know, I think that's such an uncomfortable conversation. You've probably been through it. What would you recommend, you know, individuals do to try to deal with aging parents on that? Because that isn't like an easy conversation, you know? 
No, no, it is not. And, of course, it's always going to be a personality thing. Now, uh, because I have an expertise in dealing with um, inherited properties and some financing that is special, it's a little unusual, something I actually just stumbled into about 11 years ago and then found out there was such a great need out there that I actually went to estate planning attorneys and I said, your clients are going to run into some of these hurdles. And, you know, how do you deal with that? Now, I know personally in my family, uh, later in life, not early on, but later in life as adults, we were very, very open about it. I have, um, you know, my stepdaughter who is a big part of my life, and she knows everything about my finances. If I'm not here, um, you know, tomorrow for whatever reason, uh, and we've seen examples in our real family life. I'll give you, this is personal, but I have an older sister, and she lost her husband as a widow at age 50. And that's 50 years old mm-hmm. with two in college and two kids going into college oh all gosh. at one time. And if you don't think that was a train wreck waiting to happen, and yet they were so good about what they did, their planning, uh, so the, there wasn't a hitch in the swing with those four children. But that's the exception to the rule. I see very few people that are really that well organized. And so it's being able to have those conversations. So we were good about it. Uh, My father was very open about his estate and what's going to go on. But it's things you have to address not just once, but repeatedly, uh, because things change. Um, In the state of California, the laws change every year. I am certain that this goes on all over the United States. Uh, Things get tweaked, and how do you deal with your estate, uh, whether it be a will or a trust, and going about those things, and to avoid tax problems. The last thing you want to do when you're no longer here on this planet is to create a burden for those people who are, you know, been left behind, who are already reeling from the impact of, you know, the fact of reality of death occurs, and how do we deal with that? And I think that's one thing that too many uh, folks are reluctant to dig into. And yet it is reality that is completely unavoidable that none of us, and I do mean none of us, are getting out of this life alive. So I think having the uncomfortable conversations. And then, two, you know, I hate to bring up negativity, but I have seen those families, too, where it's an absolute train wreck in the animosity that occurs or the greed and avarice that comes out of the woodwork right. with relatives, you didn't expect things, uh, you know, those types of circumstances to arise, and yet they do, and I see it, unfortunately, all the time in my work. So I think the other side of that is preventing problems, making sure that those plans are in place, and particularly when it comes to something, a high-ticket item like real estate. Because every state's going to be a little bit different than what's the disposition of the property. You know, are siblings going to share it? Are we going to sell it? Are we going to do this? Are we going to do that? Make an asset out of it and a rental? You know, you see where I'm going with this. It's just having those conversations are critical. And I know we have a number of financial um, CWI members that are adept and astute with financial planning and the like, and they will mirror our example here on air and scream it from the mountaintops, folks. Don't be afraid to have those conversations. No, it's a rough one because so many people, you know, I mean, it's an uncomfortable conversation, you know, parent or 
kids with parents and parents thinking, oh, it's like I'm here forever and I should, the shoulds, right? We need to shed the shoulds and kind of get over it and, and put the financial house in order. I agree. I mean, yes. I'm going to shift for a minute, John, because I know, you know, I'm going to bring this up because we're going to take a little bit of a personal um, side to things on this show. And, you know, knowing you, um, not as long, but long enough. And it's like, I know last year was crazy busy for you with all the mm-hmm. refinancing and you were just basically nose to the grindstone. And recently you suffered um, a, a loss with a parent. Do you want to kind of share, like, how have you, how, one, how did you navigate such crazy times? Like so many people were like locked up and not as busy. Like they lost portfolios of business. They, you know, everything locked down. Like for us, we couldn't do what we wanted to do. We didn't stop, but you know, you were just like busier than a one-armed paper hanger. Like how did you get through that? And then also looking at what, you know, personally um, you experienced, it's like any kind of thoughts or words. First, let's talk about last year. Like how did you even get through all that? That's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, one thing we talk about a lot in my sphere of influence and friends, and and thank you for uh, bringing this up because I think it's very, very important. Self-care is a critical part of the whole process. And one of the reasons um, that I was able to sustain for the last couple of years, the level of uh, business, our industry was overwhelmed. And I don't mean by a little, I mean everybody in the mortgage and finance business and real estate nationwide was going crazy like they've never seen. I mean, like 50% yeah and plus increases in business. We broke all records at our company, and we are a very large mortgage banking corporation in all 50 states, probably at number seven or eight in all of the U.S. So it's not small potatoes in the many, many billions and billions of dollars of business on a monthly basis. So how we were able to get through this, and this is the same, I think, for any business, was the whole concept of of self-care, taking care of yourself. For me, that was getting in a swimming pool and exercising and eating well and making sure that I took enough time out uh, of my busy schedule just to make sure that my health was in order. That was a critical part, number one of those building blocks. But what we did with our company, which I thought was great, and everybody was working from home for the most part, but I think showing uh, the ability to adapt to those changes Let's face this, none of us were ever here before. Certainly CWI adapted in a lot of amazing ways. And I think uh, just being focused and being able to adapt, be able to be creative with your business solutions. How are we going to deal with the fact that I can't face-to-face with clients anymore? They're not coming into my office, so. Technology was a huge part of that. We came up with some technological solutions that may not be applicable for every kind of business, but and ours certainly was. So coming up with new ways to communicate the systems we put in place. I think perseverance was a real big perseverance was a big part of it too. Just hey, buckle down, you know, this isn't gonna be this way forever. It was a good problem to have, but you're just hanging in there, like exactly like you and your members did as well. You stuck to it. You didn't throw in the towel. You said, "No, we're gonna we're gonna get through the tough times and come out on the other end." And I know I could really. I, <laughs> I was gonna say I, I know. I, was say, I, I could am, put in a few expletives. Yes. Yeah, you are. You are. I, I'm very, very stubborn when it comes to that thing. So that doesn't. That's not a bad thing to be. And then I think a critical part 
of the whole thing was teamwork. Um, you know, we invented new ways of uh, being a team, having a backup, having somebody's uh, you know back when need be uh, times of adversity. Uh, you know, it's the uh, the singer and the musician and the poet, so to speak. John Lennon said, "There's no problems. There's only solutions." So I think that's mm. the attitude, having the right attitude to look at things and, and do it from that uh, perspective. So getting your financial house in order and your business in order, I think taking a lot of creativity was what worked best for us as a company there, too. That's a wow. That's a wow. I mean, and now, you know, kind of like on this personal front, I mean, we have something we're going to share at the end of the show, or I'm, I don't know if you want to or or me, but I will do whatever you, you tell me to do. I, you've, your father passed away. I think this is mm-hmm. a big deal. You had a very close relationship with your father. So, I mean, from that standpoint and all we're talking about, it's like any slices of, you know, um, advice or, you know, uh, I mean, what would you Absolutely. share right now about how things are in your life right now, I think is what I'm getting uh, to. Yeah, well, I think a little crazy, a little chaotic. But, again, having those conversations is what made things a lot easier. Uh, I have uh, – I was really blessed to be uh, – have a family around that, and everybody just, you know, picked the task, got it done. But having those plans in order was a really big deal uh, for our family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it made – the impact of the loss of a loved one, um, you know, that much less impactful. So I think there's a we, – we're not just talking the talk, we're walking the walk here at the Burroughs family. So that's a good one. And I would prefer – I know I, I sent you something that we discovered. My sister and my nieces and going through my father's office found a little uh, booklet, found uh, – of, of either uh, – poems and or prayers and sayings that he had collected none of us knew this existed and we found one we're not 100 percent sure if he wrote it or if he found it elsewhere but i think i'd like you to read it if you would uh, i totally would and it's like it's perfect timing but you know again i know you know i mean father is a big deal right my dad passed away a lot of years ago but this was amazing and usually i, I we're just gonna we're gonna end the show with this john and you know, here we go. It's like this is your father's prayer that you found. Um, we pray that strength and abundant courage be given to all who work for a world of reason and understanding, that the good that lies in every person's heart may day to day be magnified, that all persons may come to see more clearly not that which divides them, but that which unites them. I love that. That each hour brings us closer to a final victory, not a nation over nation, but of humankind over its own weaknesses, that the blessing of peace be ours, the peace to build and grow, to live in harmony and sympathy with others, to plan with confidence, and that the true concept of love, its joy, its beauty, its hope, and above all, its abiding faith in God be our everlasting procession. Okay, now I held it together on that. That is an amazing prayer, and that could not be more applicable to the world right now. Are you Are you still with me, John? I am, and amen to that. You now know <laughs> what will be my mantra for the rest of my life. I think so. I think so. My gosh. Um, I'm going to let you wrap up the show because this is your show. I was simply a party to it. But, you know, just, again, heart goes out to your loss of your father because that's a big deal. That prayer is amazing. I'm so glad we got that on the show. And I'm going to let you wrap up the show. 
Thank you so much, and I'd like to thank you, Michelle, for hosting me, John Burroughs, with Finance of American. <laughs> I guess I was the leading man today. And a special you thank were. to all our listeners, both in the U.S. and internationally, as we are an international show. We'll be back for another Women Lead Radio Show Mondays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time. It's been my sincere pleasure to be your guest host today. Thank you for you listening, and have a great week, folks. Women Leading the Way is produced by Connected Women of Influence, the premier private membership organization where like-focused, business-to-business, executive and professional women connect, collaborate, and cultivate a vast network of high-level affiliations, resources, and professional relationships. For more information about Connected Women of Influence, please visit our website at connectedwomenofinfluence.com.